This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number four of Go To Grandma. I'm your host, Kathy Buckworth. And if you're just joining us for the first time, I'm a mom of four and a grandma of two. I've written six parenting books, and I'm working on my first grandparenting book. Thank goodness for my kids providing me with endless material. This show is all about the fun and challenges we have as grandparents today. I'll be your guide every week, along with help from guest experts and real grandparents, as we go through this amazing journey together. In the past weeks, we've talked about how important play is in the grandparent-grandchild relationship. We've discussed how to negotiate situations when grandparent rules aren't the same as parenting rules, how to have a conversation about your LGBTQ plus kids with their grandparents, multi-generational travel, and we've also talked about how laughter is good for your colon. It's been a lot of fun so far. Today, we tackled two big parenting and grandparenting subjects, food and manners. Both of these subjects are rife with confrontation, controversy, And let's face it, contrition. First up, we have Rose Reisman, author of 21 Cookbooks, plus she's a proud grandma. And she's going to tell us how to get those grandkids started on the healthy eating track and look at why or why not we should be giving our grandkids packaged foods. Food is only served at the table, right? Well, sometimes not. And sometimes when it's at the table, it doesn't stay there. I like to call her Canada's Miss Manners. Julie Blake Como is an etiquette expert, and she will share her tips on not just table manners, but how manners have changed and how our approach might need to change also. Table manners are big in our house. When I was a kid, Sunday dinners were a big deal. Roast beef, Yorkshire puddings, the works. We ate in the dining room and you didn't miss it. We carried on the tradition at our house, but we made a few changes. First of all, we let the kids take turns picking what Sunday dinner would be, as my husband and I would have chosen the roast beef option every time. When they were little, they didn't really know what a proper meal should consist of, so we helped them out with little printed menus listing vegetables, proteins, carbs, etc. They enjoyed choosing what they liked, but not as much as they enjoyed choosing something they knew their brother or sister would hate. It did devolve into a little bit of revenge cuisine. Anyway, we also instituted what we called roses and thorns, which I think many families would be familiar with. Tell us your rose, a good thing, and your thorn, a bad thing. We had to put in a rule that your thorn couldn't be a person or every week we would have. My thorn is my brother. We always put out cloth napkins on the Sunday dinner table. And the kids, okay, and us, used to make fun of that one particular child, she knows who she is, who would always forget to put their napkin on their lap and maybe use her shirt instead. I hadn't realized how much we had enforced the napkin rule until my older daughter went out with her now husband for the first time. She reached over, put his napkin on his lap when he didn't do it. She texted me in the middle of the date. Do you see what you've done to me? And I knew my work was done. Now we welcome our grandkids to the table. Well, only one right now, as the other is an infant. We all sit at the dining room table when they come. We have napkins, sometimes candles, and always the right cutlery. We try to share roses and thorns, but mostly we're just ooing and aahing over our 20-month-old grandson and his fabulous eating habits. 
I'm planning a show on baby-led weaning 101 for grandparents, but for now, suffice it to say, he will eat pretty much everything. How do you manage when you make a meal for your kids and grandkids and your kids don't insist on their kids eating the meal or even sitting at the table? The best we can do is model by example. We all need to be present at the dinner table and not be on our phones or jumping up every two minutes. Engaging the kids at the table in conversation is a great way to keep them there. So make sure you know what they're interested in so you can talk about it too. Getting them involved in choosing or preparing the meal can also be a good way for them to have table stakes at your dinner time. Setting your kids and grandkids up for success at the dinner table doesn't happen overnight, but it can happen. Practicing good manners and experimenting with new foods is best started at home, before you take them out to a restaurant or to someone else's house. Today, we're going to talk to two pros who know all about this. Rose Reisman has written 21 cookbooks, and she has four grandchildren. She has literally written the books on healthy eating and easy recipes for families. She's joining us with some tips on how to start the kids off that way, and some tips on when do you let them eat junk food. Julie Blake Como will keep us all in line when she tells us how manners have evolved and how we approach this sometimes delicate subject with our kids about our grandkids. It's going to be a great show, and I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. So pinkies up over those Saturday morning coffee or teacups, and let's get started. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you're listening to Go To Grandma on Zoomer Radio. Rose Reisman is the author of 21 cookbooks, all of which are health-based. She's the registered nutritional consultant for Rose Reisman Catering and Personal Gourmet, a lunch program for kids in public schools. She's the mother of four and grandmother of four. She's a media personality and the 680 News health expert. Good morning, Rose. Thanks for joining us on the show. Oh, a pleasure. My pleasure, Kathy. Nice to speak to you. So you have four children, but I always say more importantly, you have four grandchildren. Oh, yeah. It's a busy family, to say the least, but it's it's wonderful. Tell us about your grandkids, their ages. Well, you know, my daughter has twin six-year-olds and a three-year-old, and my other daughter has a 10-month-old. Now, the only problem with the one with the three is due to COVID, she moved out west for the year. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, but the thing is, out in Squamish, mm-hmm. there was, like, no schools closing. She had an amazing year, but the good news is in about a week, I'm flying out there and picking her her up to come home. So she is coming home. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. I totally feel you on that. I'm very lucky to have my two grandsons just within about five minutes from my oh, house. It's, it's the best. Yeah. So <laughs> life is. will become very, very busy, but it's it's been a joy because this year, because of COVID, I got to spend a great deal of time with my daughter and her 10 month old. Oh, that's so nice. That was very special. So 10 months old. So yeah. hmm, this little baby perhaps starting or has already started uh, to eat some food. So you're the expert, you know, you've written 21 book. It. Yeah. How do you start kids, grandkids on healthy food from such a young age? Well, you know, I mean, I think I've taught my daughters and it's and it's great to see because I think they do things way better than I did when I was raising <laughs> my kids. The key is natural food. They virtually make everything and they don't spend hours in the kitchen making it. They try not to buy the jarred baby sauce, baby food or sauce or anything like that. So if they're going to make applesauce, they'll take an apple, cook it, puree it, you know, and then they'll freeze it in ice cube trays. They've learned all these great tricks and they expect expose the kids to so much more than we ever did. I mean, every new food they have the children 
children try in a pureed or chopped up form at first. And then, you know, you know, looking ahead six years, my daughter was the three kids. They're really good eaters. Not to say if you put a piece of, you know, chocolate cake in front of them, they wouldn't inhale it. They would, but actually what happens is when they have something sweet, they're given a very small piece and they're so satisfied by it. So I wish I had known that when I was six years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. And you know what? I've experiencing the same thing. I have a 21-month-old grandson and Aww. they're doing baby-led weaning. And so, it, you know, it's the same. He will try everything for texture, et cetera. And you're right. He will inhale a piece of chocolate cake oh, yeah. if given the choice. But of course, they're being very solicitous with that. Right. And, you know, you're right. Maybe we're similar. I was a lot of jarred baby foods. Mind you, I'm not a professional chef like you. And to see them using more natural foods, I think, is such a great, great step in the right direction. It's great. And the other thing, Kathy, you can now, thank goodness today, you know, at places like Whole Foods and even regular supermarkets, you can buy a lot of great baby food with no additives, no preservatives, no color, no sugar. Now, it does cost more. Mm -hmm. That's why I always believe making it yourself is better. But, you know, we have to be careful because as we get our children used to these processed foods, they develop a really strong taste an addiction for it. And that's what then leads them on to eating fast food later in life. And, you know, I'm writing an article now on on ultra-processed food is making children obese, Mm -hmm. giving them the risk of diabetes. So what we don't realize is it's not, you don't wake up at 40 and say, oh, I have to change my eating habits. You really try to start as early as eight months of age to get them on the right track of eating well. I think that's a great point. And, you know, I agree with you. Sometimes we're just so busy, we don't have time for, you know, and our kids don't have time to make their, their kids all of this food in the kitchen. So what should we be looking out for, I suppose, when we decide that we, you know, we have to give our kids packaged foods that just logistically right. that's going to work? What sorts of things should we be really looking out to avoid in, in these packaged goods? You know, I always say go to the ingredients. I don't worry so much about the nutritionals and, you know, unless there's a lot of saturated fat or hydrogenated fat or sodium. That's a key to look for because often there is sodium hidden away in these foods and, and sugar. Look at your ingredients. So the first three, four ingredients tell you virtually like 90% of what's in that product. So if the first ingredient is fructose corn syrup or sugar or just flour, white flour, you know you're not going to you're not getting a good nutritious food. You want to get something that ultimately starts with either a whole grain or if it's a beef or chicken base that that's the first ingredient there. And sodium is another key thing because we develop taste for salt at a very early age. So you want to make sure uh, how much sodium there is per serving for children. So, you know, calories I don't look at so much. When they say, you know, fresh fruit snacks, and then it looks like they've added in a little bit of, you know, strawberry (laughs) to this gummy, whatever it's going to be you're feeding your kids, please don't give your kids that. (laughs) If they have any fresh fruit, it's usually from fresh fruit juice, and it's so negligible, it won't mean anything. The key is to have cut up diced fruit and vegetables always available in your fridge, always. So my kids would go flying past the kitchen counter. I'd always have, and yeah, it's some work, but you could buy those cut up already if you want. Mm -hmm. Have some diced fruit, some diced veggies, a nice hummus dip that the kids would like. That's their snacks. And they get used to that, not tearing open a bag of, you know, potato chips Mm -hmm. or those vegetable sticks, which are also not very good. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of potato chips, one of my favorites. (laughs) Yeah. Is there a right time? Is there a good time to let them have some junk or try it out? How would you 
approach that? Yeah, I would say that in your home, unless there's a special occasion, don't offer it. When they go to a birthday party, don't make them feel like awkward kids or don't make them feel left out, like you don't want the nerdy kid. <laughs> so you, what you want to do is say, okay, you know, there's not much I'm going to be able to do now. I mean, hopefully the host of that party will do some portion control <laughs> and know that that's the time where, you know, you've got to ultimately break away from your kids, but you're, you're trying to teach them all along that, you know, that stuff is there and have it in moderation. But when they first taste it, I remember when my daughter's twins first tried birthday cake at the age of one, you should have seen their eyes open. <laughs> oh, my God. It was like they died and went to heaven. Yes, I can relate. My grandson was over there yeah. today, and I gave him one Oreo cookie. Uh, and when I said no more afterwards, he literally burst into tears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in a high chair. Sugar, it's unbelievable what it does. It's like, I think we're born with this addiction. Mm-hmm. The minute a baby tastes anything sweet. Exactly. is like you really see it happen to a child. You referenced it a little bit earlier, and I wanted to follow up. You talked about juice. I know that juice is a bit of a controversial subject in a sense that, you know, it can have all these great fruit mm-hmm. ingredients, but also it can become, so it's a very sweet thing to do. I don't think my grandson has ever had juice. He drinks a lot of water. Great. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, I'd say throw out the juice. Okay. I mean, I was a mother that raised my kids on apple juice, you know. Me too. But I have to tell you, throw out the juice. You'd rather eat your calories and your food than drink it. Ah. It's very sweet. It doesn't satisfy them the same way. Like if you eat a whole apple, you're getting the fiber, you know, from the pulp. Mm-hmm. You're getting so much more that's going to fill you up. When you drink a glass of apple juice, you're hungry after. Right. It doesn't fill you. Good point. So my attitude always, outside of a smoothie that's made with great ingredients, that's fine. And my daughter does, the one with the twins and the three-year-old, does make smoothies for her kids in the morning, and they seem to like them. I mean, I'd still rather eat my food than drink it, but I'm talking about a healthy smoothie made with a Greek yogurt, spinach, yeah. uh, you know, really, really good great fruit stuff. in it. Yeah. So, Rose, you have 21 cookbooks. I keep repeating mm-hmm. that because it's yeah. so staggering to me. <laughs> Where can we find more information about you and find you on social media? Oh, you can go to at Rose Reisman. I've, I've got a really nice Instagram now where tons and tons of recipes, even my new puppy, Charlie, who's 10 weeks old, you'll get to meet him. Amazing. <laughs> you'll see pictures of my grandchildren, but mostly it's really food, health, oriented. So it's recipes, it's health tips, it's telling you what to order in Starbucks, what not to order in Starbucks. Even going to McDonald's, it's great. You can go there. Here are the choices you should have. These are why you shouldn't have certain ones. So lots of information or go to my website, rosereisman.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. I learned a lot and Uh, I'm glad that we're, you know, we're sort of doing the same things, learning from our kids about how to feed their kids. I love it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They know a lot. Thank you. A pleasure. Thanks, Rose. Take care. Julie Blake-Como is Canada's go-to etiquette expert, an energizing speaker and sought-after media collaborator. You may have seen, read, or heard her on CTV's Your Morning, The Globe and Mail, CBC, Entertainment Tonight, or People.com, amongst others. She is Chief Etiquette Officer and founder of EtiquetteJulie.com, a training and development firm dedicated to teaching poise, polish, and professionalism to enhance the interpersonal skills, brand, and image of employees at all levels. She is the author of four books, including Etiquette, Confidence, and Credibility. Good morning, Miss Julie. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on GoToGrandma. And of course, as usual, you're on time because that's just good manners, right? (laughs) 
Well, <laughs> it is good manners. And you know, Kathy, everything that has to do with manners is based on culture. Right. And so if we were in some other parts of the world, if I would have been a little bit late, that may have been quite appropriate. That's a good point, actually. And not only do manners sort of, you know, change as we cross cultures, but they've evolved over time, I think, too. So as grandparents, maybe the manners that we grew up with or that our grandparents taught us, are they the same, the ones that we're passing on to our grandkids? Yeah, there are some basic manners that are the same, and you're absolutely right. Etiquette, some people think is for the king, future king, future queen, a certain part of society, but etiquette is really the manners, the customs, and they evolve. Who would have thought just a few years ago, uh, less than a decade ago, that we would have been talking about social media guideline, what is appropriate, what is not. And again, here, etiquette is, etiquette is based on culture. Culture is not your country of origin. If I say to our listeners today, the culture, let's say, of Mississauga versus Scarborough versus downtown Toronto, could they be? three different cultures, or even compare that to the beaches. Mm -hmm. So it's one group takes in common. And as grandparents, some of the manners, some of our basic manners will be the same, but some others may evolve. And the key here is to be in harmony Mm -hmm. or to make it very clear that at grandma's house, it's different right. than at home. It might be a whole culture in and of itself, grandma's house. <laughs> exactly. The grandma, Kathy Buckworth, <laughs> you are right. The, what is the culture at grandma's house, at nana's house? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's a good point, you know, that we can have different rules and different manners in different places. But what happens, Julie, if they're at grandma's house and I'm approaching manners a little bit maybe differently than my kids are approaching it with their grandkids? Where do we go with that? Yeah, and it's about having conversations. And these conversations are not to be had in front of the children. They're going to be had adult to adult. Let me give you a very specific example. I have two boys, two sons that are now 33 and 29. Oh, my God. I'm hard time saying that. Crazy how that happens. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And when they were younger, they were younger. I did not allow any weapons at home. I was one of those completely against guns. Mm -hmm. And my mother believed that the boys should play with guns. So, We had talked about that, and she had said, would it be okay when they are with me that they have play guns? And I said, yes, but I was also quite specific as to what they could do with that or not. So it's about having that conversation ahead of time and for the child knowing that, okay, at grandma's, that's doable, and here at home it's not. Just like for some of the children or some of the grandparents that are listening to us, their children or their grandchildren are in sometimes two households. Uh, with one parent, there are a certain set of rules, and with the other parent, there's a certain set of rules. So the same thing would apply, just like at home, at school, 
there could be some variable. Right. And so when, you know, we talk about manners with grandkids, and I, I had a similar thing with the guns, not that my parents disagreed, but I wouldn't buy them for my kids. But if they got them for presents, they were allowed to keep them. <laughs> How's that? So, you know, you put, you set your own rules. Exactly. Yeah. Same thing for me. But we just got off a conversation with Rose Reisman, who's an amazing chef, and she has grandchildren. We talked about sitting at the table, etc. You know, I'm thinking about the dinner table in particular. When do we start sort of expecting good table manners mm. from kids? You know, and how do we sort of, you know, get the to see what the benefits of good manners are at what age? You know, the benefits of good manners, if you ask the children, they're very quick to reply. I've done a lot of substitute teaching, and even when they're very, very young, when we start with the magic words, they're able to observe and to gain very, very quickly by being polite, by using the magic words. And table manners, it's so much more enjoyable. And to teach them as soon as they're starting to manipulate a fork, a knife, a glass of water, uh, may I be excused? Mm -hmm. Could I have some more milk, please? And it's a lot, Kathy, about modeling. Mm -hmm. How are we as the adults, the grandparents in the house? How are we with table manners? Right. And there are lots of great videos. I go all over the country in different organizations and in families. Actually, on September 11th, we were going to do uh, something with this particular family before the lockdown. And now I'm going to a family and I'm going to teach manners to the entire family. Oh, how fun. I <laughs> know. I think that's fun. <laughs> it is fun. The children get to set the table. They understand the utensils, why we're putting them there. I tell about the history of different utensils, when they came about, how to position everything, how to eat American style, continental style, and the benefits. It's simple. It's fluid. Once you learn it, you forget about it. And this is the key also about etiquette. I often like to say, I don't care if you do what I tell you to do. What is important for me and for our children and our grandchildren is that they will be confident mm. in knowing what to do, when and how. Because if they're not, they're scratching their heads, they're paralyzed, and they're not able to build relationships to partake in the conversation because they're wondering, oh my God, which one is my fork? Which one is my glass of milk? So that's the benefit. Yeah, nothing more terrifying than sitting down and seeing that array of knives and forks. If you haven't been exposed to that, what's a fish knife? What is your salad fork? And I know when kids are young, it's something you can easily point out. But as an adult, it's embarrassing to ask. Yes, it is embarrassing to ask, but when in doubt, find out. It's better to ask. Say, yes. you know, <laughs> I'm just looking at you and everything seems so fluid. Would you mind giving me a little bit of information? And when in doubt, find out. You'll never, ever make a faux pas by asking, what is the custom? And how do you eat those oysters? How do you eat those mussels? I think that's a great tip if you are in a situation where the culture is maybe different, just to ask permission. I wish we had more time to get into this more. I'd like to know some of the history of forks that you're talking about. But in the meantime, Julie, we can find you on social media, Etiquette Julie, and you have a website as well. Yes, etiquettejulie.com. And I love, love, love questions from our listeners like you 
I've blogged for years and answering questions from Torontonians, Canadians. We love that. That's our challenge, right? We're going to research mode. And if I don't know the answer, I will find out. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today, Julie. Such a pleasure to speak with you. Always a pleasure speaking with you. And keep those pictures coming of your grandson. <laughs> we love, love, love them. And by the way, you look amazing. The fittest grandma I know. Oh, thanks, Julie. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. When I was in the throes of writing my parenting books and hundreds of articles, I would estimate that approximately 50% of the content was about food and kids. The other 50% was probably about sleep, a subject we will get to in the coming weeks. Heck, I even wrote a whole book about food and eating called Shut Up and Eat, Tales of Chicken, Children, and Chardonnay. I know you're not supposed to say shut up anymore, let alone print it on the front of a book where little eyes can read it, but, well, I have no defense at this point. A funny story about that book title, if you'll indulge me, it was originally called Shut Up and Eat, Savoring the Joy of Family Dinners. I was at the airport waiting for a flight when my editor called and said, we have to change the title. We're going to press and you need to come up with a new one right now. At first, I thought it was because of the shut up, but it was actually about the word savor. We spell it S-A-V-O-U-R, the proper way, and our American friends leave out the U. She was worried about the U.S. sales, so we changed it. Hence, chicken, children, and chardonnay. Basic rule of writing, things in threes, and alliteration works. So I went with that. We had another Stop the Presses moment with one of my other books, The Blackberry Diaries. Well, how much does that date me? I was talking about the then state-of-the-art phone, not the fruit. We had to change a few references for the American market. KD or Kraft Dinner? Nope. They call it mac and cheese. Cheesies? Nope. Cheetos. Timbits? Nope. Donut holes. No matter what the language of food is, how we eat it is always going to be important. While you might think your grandson stuffing an entire muffin into his mouth is fun and cute now, think about how that's going to look the first time he's at a breakfast meeting as an adult. I'd like to thank my guests, Rose Reisman and Julie Blake Como, for giving us such valuable advice around food and manners. I learned a lot. As the proverb goes, better good manners than good looks. Although, of course, all of us grandparents are so good looking as well. You're not going to want to miss next week's show. It's what I call our house and garden edition. First up, we have gardening expert and editor-in-chief of Harold Smith Magazine, Jen Reynolds, talking about how to create the perfect garden for your grandkids. And then design expert Kimberly Selden will tell us how to set up the perfect stylish and practical sleepover room for your grandkids. You won't want to miss that. Thanks for joining me on this grand journey. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma on Zoomer Radio. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her, Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.